You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you so much, Naomi. Let's pray together. Father, would you do that? Would you bless the reading of your word as it's um, expounded today? Lord, would you give us ears to hear we pray that we would have soft hearts, Lord, that we would see your word as a gift uh, from a loving Father. And so, Lord, may you give us eyes to see that and just an openness for whatever you would have for us today by your Holy Spirit. So we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's look at verse 35. And what Matthew is doing here is basically he is summarizing. He's summarizing a lot of what we've seen thus far in the last few months. So verse 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So what is this? This is just what we talk about in our mission statement, declaration and demonstration. You see the declaration, the the word, the verbal part here? He's teaching and he's proclaiming, right? Matthew's summarizing what we've seen in Jesus' ministry. So he's teaching and he's proclaiming. It's a word-based ministry. And then it's also a deed ministry. Like we talk about declaration and demonstration. So what is he doing? He's healing. He's Not just speaking, he's doing. So he's proclaiming and he's teaching and he's also doing. He's healing. He's showing his authority through healing people. And so Christian discipleship will always be word and deed. It will always be word and deed. Both of them. There's there's always a a horrible disconnect when those get out of balance in churches. A lot of churches can be all about the word and they don't really do anything. And a lot of churches can try to do a lot of stuff, but they don't know much about about God's word and it's not informed with a deep undergirding in that sense. But Jesus calls his people to always be both, word and deed, word and deed. That's why it's built into the Vine Church's mission statement that we're going to be people that seek to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations through word and deed, declaration and demonstration. And so that's what Matthew is summarizing for his original audience, summarizing for us. This is what Jesus is all about. This is what he's been doing. 
And that brings us to verses 36, 37, and 38. And this is a kind of a perfect transition statement for what we're going to see in the coming chapters. We're kind of ending one section and starting another with chapter 10 that we're going to get into in January. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So last week, if you remember, we looked at Jesus' compassion in three specific cases. A woman who had... um, she had a problem with bleeding for many, many years. You had a, a father in anguish because his daughter had just died. And then you had two blind men. And Jesus has compassion on them. And he heals them. And then today we see his compassion more from like a 30,000 foot view for the, the crowds. The, 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 the mobs, the throngs of people. And we're going to see the compassion of Jesus for those who are lost Jesus' heart for those that are lost, needing leadership, and what does that have to do with our mission as a church? Okay, that's what we're going to see today. Verse 36, look at it again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what is Jesus doing here? We're going to see him use two metaphors this morning. The first metaphor is this farming metaphor, sheep without a shepherd, okay? He says these crowds are like something. They're like sheep without a shepherd. So we have to understand sheep and shepherds to make sense of what Jesus is saying here. The problem is, I don't know about y'all, but I don't hang out with shepherds or sheep that much, right? I would imagine that's probably consistent in this room. There's a lot of places in the world where there's shepherds and, and sheep. Like when we go to Morocco, you'll see it everywhere. And other places around the world, But this is a a powerful and frequent metaphor in the Bible. Psalm 23, a lot of you have heard it, even if you don't know your Bible hardly at all. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down by green pastures, right? The Lord is my shepherd. It's a picture. And that's what Jesus is doing here. So Matthew is is saying about Jesus' heart. So we have to understand this picture. And the problem for us is we just don't do that in our everyday life, hang out with sheep and shepherds. So let me see if I can help us understand this a bit more. When Jesus says that these people that he has compassion for are like sheep without a shepherd, why would that be a big deal? That's the first question we would want to ask. Like, why do sheep need shepherds? Because Jesus is saying that's, that's, that's the problem here. Well, here's the deal, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes if cute little fuzzy sheep are your favorite animal, but sheep are dumb animals. They're just dumb animals. Everybody knows this. They're not smart like a a dog is smart or like dolphins are smart or like monkeys are smart. They're they're just dumb, right? They have, this is what I've been told in my my reading this week, Uh, they've got very poor eyesight, okay, so they have a hard time finding where, you know, their food source is going to be. They can hardly see, like, 30 feet in front of them. And so they don't do a good job finding food on their own. 
Sometimes a sheep, uh, it's not like very athletic, you know what I mean? You don't see like sheep racing or anything um, out there. Um, and so, you know, they're not going to be able to run away from a, a, a predator. They, they sometimes can fall on their back and not be able to get back up. You know, maybe they're a little extra fluffy or whatever. Sheep needs, they, they need leaders. They need people to provide, to guide, protect them. Can't do this on their own. They have no natural means of defense. They don't have sharp claws or sharp teeth, right? They're vulnerable. That's why, you know, throughout world history, you have this classic tension between farmers or shepherds and wolves. Because wolves are smart. And wolves know where the easy prey is. It's sheep. So sheep need Leaders, they need shepherds. So when Jesus says, these people that I have compassion for, these crowds, and then he equates them to being like something, like sheep without a shepherd, an ancient Middle Eastern mindset would go, yeah, I totally get that. But for us, we have to climb into their world a little more. And then there's this word in our text It says, harassed and helpless. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Now, if you get into the original Greek meaning of these words, it's probably a little more violent than when we read harassed and helpless. That's a little more tame than the original meaning. It it has the sense of like someone being bullied or attacked in a very aggressive way. And then harmed physically with no means to do anything about it. That's what harassed and helpless means. It's like the sheep have been attacked, brutalized, laying on their back, no means of getting back up. They're hurting and helpless. I think the emotion that we could maybe try to tap into would be something like this. If you saw a young child, three or four, being bullied, attacked, brutalized by an older man. Like, I got kids. A lot of you have kids. Like, that helps you tap in to that feeling of, like, this is not a good situation. Like, there would be a visceral, righteous response to want to address that kind of situation, right? We would feel that deeply. Like, imagine coming across a, a room full of kindergartners, and there's no teacher present, And someone comes into the classroom with bad intentions to harm them in whatever way. Like that would be chaos and destruction. Little kids, they need direction. They need protection. They need leadership. They need loving leadership. So you can feel how you would feel if you were a witness to that kind of a situation. And that's what Jesus is witnessing when he says sheep without a shepherd. Think about how you would feel with that vulnerable kindergarten classroom. That's what Jesus is feeling. So the point here is Jesus' heart is breaking for these people. He loves these people. He has compassion on these people. He sees these crowds of Jewish people, and and they do have leaders, but he's just saying their leaders are as good as not having any leaders. They have shepherds, but their shepherds do nothing but resist Jesus and lead the flock astray. And in some ways, the shepherds have become the the wolves. 
They lead with hypocrisy and a complete lack of mercy. So Jesus stands back from the crowds, knowing all this, and feels this deep emotional burden for these people because their leaders have failed them. They're like defenseless sheep with no shepherd. Jesus has compassion for the vulnerable. He wants to help them. So verse 36 paints the picture of the problem. We see Jesus' heart where he sees the problem. But now let's consider where Jesus goes next because I think there's a lot for us to learn about church, about our mission as God's people because he's saying this to his disciples. We are his disciples. So now what's going to happen is Jesus changes the metaphor. He moves from a flock to a field. Okay, He moves from a flock to a field. So we've expressed the problem. We feel the weight of the problem. And if this text was a movie, the next scene in the movie would be that scene where the star of the show kind of gets to work to solve the problem. This is a classic in so many of our movies. The movie starts by painting the picture of this serious problem, right? There's, there's some tension. And then middle section of the movie is like getting ready to finally and completely address that problem. So we've all seen it. It's like, um, you know, Rocky in Rocky IV. His friend Apollo Creed gets taken out by the Russian, right? Ivan Drago. And so he's got to deal with this problem. So what does he do? He goes to the training phase, right? Goes to Siberia, gets the cabin up on the mountain in the eight feet of snow. He's doing a thousand push-ups, and he's got his trainers there, and Adrian's there, and he's running up on top of the mountain. He's just getting after it. He's getting prepped, right? Because that's going to lead to the solution, which is this match against the imposing Russian figure. You know, you see it again in uh, another classic combat movie that most of you need to be familiar with if you're not already, The Karate Kid, right? (laughs) Classic 80s movies. I'm taking my kids currently through some of the classic 80s movies. Hadn't seen that one in about 30 years. Watched it with new eyes. It was an amazing experience (laughs) a few months ago. But same, same pattern, right? There's a problem. Daniel's getting beat up by the Cobra Kai guys. Big problem. And he wants to solve it. So he goes into the get-to-work phase, the training phase. Wax on, wax off, you know, that whole deal. Paint the fence. And then at the end, you deal with the problem. And he, you know, I won't spoil it for you. That's typical in our, in our movies. That's typical in, our, in the stories that we like to follow. We resonate with that as Americans. Because as Americans, we're pragmatic people. We like efficiency. We like to see the problem, fix the problem, get things done, right? And, and, and typically, you would expect something like that to be following in the Bible. But the problem is Jesus is an American. Jesus is not an American pragmatist. He's a Middle Eastern Jew. And sometimes we have to let Jesus rock our categories for the sake of our discipleship. Look at what he tells his people to do in light of this problem that he feels. This problem of people being brutalized and harmed because of horrible leadership. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Did you see the strategy? Does it sound like a 12-week training program? Does it sound like controlling the situation? Just doing all the perfect preparation and then we'll handle it? That's not what I read here. What I read here is that Jesus calls his people to simply pray. And sadly, that's not my first response often. I want to call us as a church to detox from our sense of self-sufficiency, our sense of rational problem-solving in our own wisdom, and just listen to Jesus here. He says that, that his people should not resort to initial response, see the problem, control the problem, see the problem, control the situation, but rather turning to the one who is in ultimate control. You feel that? That's what prayer is. So he's saying that my disciples are going to see the problem and then stop. See the problem, slow down, and pray. And what is that? It's asking him to solve it. It's acknowledging that I don't have any resources. He has the resources. So I'm just going to turn to the one with the resources. So I just want to ask Myself and all of us, like, does that feel foreign? Because it, it often feels, honestly, it feels foreign to me. It oftentimes feels foreign to me. I love to solve problems. I love to manage the situation. I love to rest on my own wisdom. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He doesn't say that we are the ones even doing the sending, right? Is that the emphasis of the text? That here's what I want you to do. The harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Therefore, get to work and manufacture the sending. That's not what it says. He says, our first job is just to pray. Real simple, just pray that God would do the sending. He's like, you don't even have to worry about the sending. I'll take care of the sending. I'll stir that up in my people. I'll take care of that. You just pray. You just pray in light of these poor people that you need to have compassion for. So this is just one of my great hopes, generally speaking, for my life, for my biological family's life, for the Vine Church family's life, is that we would, that we would be first response praying people. First response praying people. Prayer is my first response. It's like breathing. It's like I don't even really think about it. It's just there. Like we pray like that. Like our first problem-solving strategy would not be rational thinking and reason, as important as that is, as we love God with our minds, but not as a first response. Our first response is coming to the end of ourself and say, God, I don't have any wisdom. I'm turning to yours. Just like a child. Like this is one of the best ways that you guys and all of us together can embody what it means to be childlike. When Jesus said, I want you to become like a child, the kingdom of God is for those who understand what it means to be childlike. Here's one of the ways to do that. How do little kids ask for help? They're just direct and to the point. Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. Mom, Dad, I need help. 
can you help me? I can't do it. Will you help me? Like that's the kind of praying that should be our knee-jerk response. Like you'll see over and over and over again in the book of Acts that God's people don't manufacture ministry. God's people don't manufacture sending. God's people don't manufacture results. They realize the problem, they start praying, and then God just starts doing stuff through them. Like that's the pattern in the book of Acts. True results happen from people's, ministry, people's willingness to stop and pray. I fear that in my life, in our life, that so much of church stuff can just kind of happen in what, in what the Bible calls the flesh. And when the Bible talks about the flesh, sometimes it can mean different things. But in this sense, it just means human effort. Just do it on my own. I got it. I got the resources. And it's easy to draw a crowd like that. It's easy to do churchy stuff like that. But there's no power in that. And one of my deep burdens for us is that we're operating in the spirit. And you want to know one of the first indications of operating in the spirit? It's I got nothing, God has everything, and so what's going to happen? We're going to pray. We acknowledge that we get that by how we pray as a knee-jerk response. And that's what Jesus is just asking his followers to do here. You see that? You feel that? He doesn't say, hey, guys, I need you to go away on on like a little discipleship retreat and come up with a great business plan. He doesn't say that. He says, I just want you to pray. And then pray some more. And then just step back and see what God does. He makes the connection between your praying and what God will do. And, and yes, you can philosophize that and spin yourself into circles about like, how does that work if I pray and God, is he sovereign? And Don't try to figure that out right now. Just, the Bible just assumes that if you pray, God will act. And we believe that by faith. So let's do it. Let's do it. And I want you to notice one other detail from this as we just pay attention to the words of the text. Look at what he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray. But how are we going to pray? We're going to pray earnestly. We're going to pray earnestly. That word communicates the urgency of the situation, right? Like there's a passion and a persistence that's implied with the word earnestly. Why would we pray earnestly? Because there's people that Jesus is looking at that are lost and needy and abused by horrible leaders. So we pray earnestly that God would send more to Morocco, to Ecuador, to Madison, that God will continue to send through our praying. Like, can you remember the last time that you, you really, like, prayed earnestly? I would imagine it was some type of, like, emergency situation. We had a, a very painful moment this past summer where we prayed earnestly because there was a teenager's life hanging in the balance. And we gathered with friends like family and we prayed, and it was tearful, 
And it was passionate. It was long. It was intense. There was a sense of desperation that fueled an earnestness, a focus, like a we're not just playing religious games kind of praying. Like there's a lot at stake here kind of praying. And that's what Jesus feels when he sees these people. When, he, when I imagine him looking out over Madison, he feels that. When he, when he looks out over where our team is in North Africa, and he feels that. Just slaves to a culture of oppressive Islam, and he feels that. So think about what fuels that, that feeling. Again, we go back to Jesus' heart, his compassion. He doesn't say, hey, you guys just need to get your act together. How come you guys can't get your act together like I have my act together? How come you guys just don't work harder? That's not Jesus' response. That's not the response that he's had towards us as he's called us to himself. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive. Like, that's just raw mercy that has nothing to do with me or you. And that's the kind of heart that he has for these people that are harassed and helpless. His authority leads to his compassion on them. He loves these people. So it's this love and compassion that fuels this kind of earnest praying. You see that? See, I think you can draw a straight line from a lack of love and compassion for people and a lack of praying for them. And you can think about it positively. Think about people that you love and really care about. If something's wrong, it's easier for you to pray about, pray about that, right? Pray for them, right? So maybe the starting point for many of us in the room, myself included, is just simply this. Pray like this. Lord, I want to do this text. I want to see it manifest in my life, but I recognize a deficiency in my love and compassion for those who are lost. Lord, would you increase my love and compassion so that I see verse 36? And then I can pray like verse 38. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. When we think about him asking, when we think about him asking us to ask him to send, to send. So we're called to pray earnestly to this, as a solution for people needing godly leadership to disciple them. Just, just sending for the ministry of discipleship. That's what we're all about. We're called to make disciples and plant churches. And this text just, you know, it's, it's kind of the bullseye of what we say we're about as a church. And so what that means is, by implication, is that, man, we are going to be a praying church. We're going to be a praying church. We are a praying church. This isn't like a, a feel guilty sermon, like get to work, start praying more. We are praying, and we're just going to keep doing it, right? We are praying, and we're going to keep doing it. But again, I want to just remind us the emphasis, because I needed to, to remind myself of this this week, and maybe we do too collectively. Like, the emphasis is not on us doing the sending. And I, I think sometimes... I need to change the language, and maybe we need to change the language of how we talk about the sending that we've been able to do. 
So praise God, in the last nine and a half years, we've been able to send two church plants, send a lot of short-term teams out to the nations. We've sent one young woman, medium term, uh, to North Africa. We've been doing a lot of beautiful sending. But there I said it again. It's not us who have sent. It's God who's done the sending. And when you see what we've done, what God has done through us, instead of thinking about this has been us who've done it, we can be reminded that our God instead is just faithful to answer our prayers. So that's the emotion we should have when we see two church plants in 10 years, sending to the nations and supporting among the nations. We don't look at that and go, man, we're awesome for how we've sent. No, we go, God is awesome because he's the one that's sending, and God is awesome because we prayed about this, and he's clearly answered our prayers. That's the emotion we should feel. That's what this text says. That we do the praying, he does the answering, and he does the sending. So God is the one who has sent church plants out from among us. You feel that? He gets the glory, we get the joy of participation. And so all that to say, let's stay at it. Whoops, let's stay at it. Because here's how it always works. When you look to your past and you see how God has been so faithful in your past, what function should that have for your future? Just encouragement, right? Like, God, man, you've been so faithful in the past. As I look to my future, I'm remembering my past and going, man, you've been faithful back here. Is there any reason why you shouldn't be faithful over here? Nope. So, man, we're, we're going to keep at it and keep going with encouragement because of how we've seen you work in our past that fuels our future. And so all that to say is, man, as we seek to plant churches and make disciples, be encouraged. God has answered our prayers, and so let's stay at it. There's no reason to stop now, right? There's no reason to stop now. God will provide as we ask him, as we ask him to give us, as a starting point, a heart of compassion for those that need to be discipled, to raise up, to raise the spiritually dead in Madison and beyond, and to see churches planted maybe in one mile radius from every front door of every house in Madison, a healthy, loving, love God's gospel, his community, and his mission kind of church. I mean, that's what... I'm praying for. That's what our elders are praying for. That's what I, we call us to pray for. And that there be just a revival in these nations that we focus on. God, would you do that? God's the one who sends. We're the ones who ask. So, just know that we prioritize this kind of praying in the life of our church. It happens in our monthly city group prayer meeting. It happens on a Sunday morning when we pray together. It happens when we gather our city group leaders and do training. It happens when our elders have a once-a-month prayer meeting. And maybe one way that some of us, you know, we all struggle with prayer. You know, I hear this as a pastor, struggling with prayer. All you got to do is memorize Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Or just Matthew 37 and 38. And just, I don't know what to pray today. I'm just going to pray this. God, would you send? God, would you send? God, would you send? That's a beautiful prayer life. And, and you can just tack on to the end. And God, if, if you want to use me, here I am. 
Like, I'm willing. I'm the agenda, but I'm willing. Like, that's a beautiful way to pray. So I just want to close. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Hopefully we can model some of this and, and make that a habit to see this text come alive in the life of our church. Let's pray. Father, we need your help, and we are so thankful for the reminder this morning that we can turn to you and you hear us. And Lord, I pray for um, a, a deeper heart for those that are lost like sheep without a shepherd. I pray that you give us eyes to see and a heart that breaks for that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to grow our love for people. As Teach us to love as you love, God. Teach us to have eyes to see as you see. Lord, would you be our vision? Would we have your compassion? Lord, we want to pray against apathy. We want to pray against as well, trying to control the situation, Lord. We don't want to operate in the flesh. We want to operate in the spirit. So, Lord, would you make us people that see our inability but see your complete ability? And would you make us the kind of people that have first response is prayer? And so, Lord, would you help us do that? Would you help us do that? We ask for more sending, Lord. We ask for more sending in Madison. We ask for more church planting in Madison. We ask for more beautiful individual conversations as we Disciple individuals, Lord. Lord, we ask for more um, in, in North Africa. We ask for more in Ecuador. We ask for just your church to, to rise up and be a blessing in word and deed as you have blessed us in word and deed. May it be so. May it, may it always be what we're about at the vine. In Jesus' name, amen.